0: we Welcome to episode 45 of Pennies in the Well. Apparently, while I am in this in-between state of broken and fixed, I am in the mood to do podcasting and to say things. And maybe it's coming out of this whole, what has it been, like a four-year, five-year hiatus for the most part? Remember all that incubation I was talking about in the last episode? I mean, really, this is what happens. You go internal, you get all this fun I don't know, experiential viewpoint stuff, uh, life-altering, perception-changing experiences. You work it, it, it cooks. It basically has to cook inside of you so that you can come on out the other side and go, hey, now I have different thoughts, different viewpoints, different perspective on things, and I actually feel like I have things to say. Today, we're going to talk about uh, circles which are really spirals, which are really cycles, which we are in right now, Where is that, and what that means for completion? <laughs> uh, why are we going to talk about that? And you like the we we really being me, and I'm sure I've said that before, and I will probably say it again as with other things, because you know it's been so long since I started this podcast that I don't remember what I have talked about. I may end up talking about things in a similar way again, mind you. I think I've changed enough that perhaps just maybe if I cover the same topic, it won't be the same experience. Circles. So in a Wiccan magical world, there's a lot about the circle. The circle is a sacred place and, and sacred space in which we do magical workings. It is a, um, you could almost call it a Petri dish for concentrating uh, energy, power, focus into a particular intention. It's our magi- uh, a way of magical working. Uh, the symbol, of course, ties into eternity, wholeness, uh, the sun, if you put a dot in the middle, um, all those kind of wonderful things. And that's great. Circles are lovely. And if you take a circle and you, uh, it travels, right? You can add movement to that idea of a circle. Simply take the shape of a circle, take your finger, put it on the edge of the circle and follow that line of the circle. And you have your movement, you have this round movement, but, and we can see that, let's say in a cycle In a lot of ways we see cycles in circular ways. We think about a cycle and that it's happening the same way over and over and over again, uh, night-day cycle. We cycle through midnight, through to dawn, uh, to noon, to dusk, to midnight again. And it is a circle in that it is those four points or however many points you want to break the day down into, or 24 hours, whatever it is, It is the face of a clock. Those 24 hours circles around and around and around and around in this never-ending cycle of continuity that is relatively unchanged. I mean, there are some physical things that cause variation that we have to take into account, which is why we have a leap year uh, every four years to take care of the fact that we're... <laughs> what was it when they were defining the time that we didn't get it precise enough? Uh, well, there's basically, there's just adjustments as much as we like to codify things into very clear, nice, tidy boxes. The natural world goes mm, mostly neat and tidy, but there's always variation and difference. And that's a reality. There's always variation and difference. One day does not feel like a different day. It, we may be circling, cycling, through the same pattern of days, of moon cycles, of solar cycles, but they're never the same because these cycles are layered upon each other through time. So today's day is different from yesterday versus tomorrow. Those are three different days and they will have the same number of hours and we will track them the same way and we will have the same solar experience, solar to planetary experience of sun rising, sun setting. Yet, I wonder why we never say the night rises and the night sets. It would be a very witchy way to put it, wouldn't it? I'll see you at night rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to moonrise. I'm, I'm a little enamored of that actually. And to take a little side trip, part of the enamoring of that, there's two reasons. One is simply that by changing our language, we change our perspective. So by putting a little magical, mystical, mysterious, um, joy into putting the night first, well, actually there's like five different reasons why I like it. Uh, the language causes us to think about things differently by using different language. We, especially new language, we're creating new pathways and a new connotations related to those words. So we have a different experience of saying it's night. Uh, the night is rising versus the day is ending. The day is ending is very uh, work day, normal life, but the night is rising. That means that we're, we're engaging into the night world. We're not saying that the day world is where we do all of our work and our focus and our attention. It is the night world where we are putting our energy and our focus. So it just, it, sh- it shifts us from a very practical point of view of different language, but also from the, the lyrical quality of the language. And there was another point I was going to get into in there. Don't remember what it was, but it is kind of a nice thought, isn't it? Yeah, I'll I'll see you when the night rises. Um, you know, we have midday and we have midnight, so we're kind of halfway there language-wise. No, side trip. So cycles. But they those cycles, like I said, are layered through time. We are, uh, by our physical existence, by our temporal existence, we exist in space and time. And that temporal existence and that spatial existence are in... Uh, Indelibly tied into each other. They cannot be separate. We are within time. We are within space. Space and time exist together. We exist as a product of both space and time. Remove either one and we cease to exist in the way that we know it. In fact, life could be said to be at that beautiful cross section of space and time and how they interact together. And we do move through time. So our cycles the pattern of the cycle is the cycle and the fact that it is something that happens again and again and again. And it creates, um, like I said, patterns and patterns allow us to make choices and decisions because we know what's going to happen. We, if tomorrow was a random number of hours, like say, Uh, hours were always the same length, but this day had 24 hours and tomorrow would have 10 hours. And the day after, we don't know yet, but we'll find out when we arrive. We couldn't plan the way that we do. Uh, It would be damn near impossible to live if we didn't have some basic continuity in the patterning of our lives and our cycles. That being said, so that's really important to have that. But we have this thing called time, and one cycle is inherently different from the next cycle because it's at a different point in time. So it can never actually be the same thing. It's always going to be a different experience because it's at a different point in time. So no matter how much uh, similarity there is, like the sun rising, sun setting, pretty darn similar. Well, you know, within a few, was it? A minute, two minute shift every day um, for when the sun, the timing of the sunrise and the sunset, due to all those beautiful physics angles and such. There's still that, you know, very strong consistency. But yesterday is not the same as today. All the stuff of yesterday is now created today because we exist in the, this beautiful filament of now. It is the most narrow uh, moment of experience possible. It is a beautiful thing. Everything is now. Right? All of our, our life and experience is truly now. You, you have only now. You know, 10 seconds ago is past. It isn't now. It's not something that you are living. It is something that you lived. And 10 seconds f- from now in the future, is not yet lived. So we are always in this brink of existence, always on the crest of a wave. As long as we live, we are on that crest of a wave. And our attention can be brought to the most minute focus and awareness of that crest, where we are on the very, very edge boundary of the now. And we can thin it out, thin it out to the most... um, the smallest amount of time that we possibly can. My cats are currently embracing this concept of now very intensely and it's awfully entertaining. And I know, I know podcasters being distracted by cats, it's a bad thing, but sometimes you have to appreciate when a 14 year old cat behaves like a kitten, it's freaking adorable. And they're living in the now. Cats are a really great example of, you know, fuck the rest of time. I'm just going to be now when you focus on now, you can get it down to, like I said, to this awareness of how infinitesimally small the actual crest of that wave is. And yet we don't live there per se. We do, which is exactly where we live, but we allow our definition of now to expand. So my now is not that infinitesimal moment as I breathe out the air into a sound that can be broken down into you know, a millisecond, which is where the now lives. I mean, it's always in that ever more f- teeny little line, but my experience of it broadens. So my now exper- experience broadens into recording of a podcast. So it's the, maybe it's a, a few seconds together of the now that was my cat playing. Which is now past because, well, mostly past. <laughs> um, but what he was doing a few seconds ago, he's no longer doing. And so that expression of the now and where I experienced it as a whole kind of kernel of now ness um, has passed. And he was playing. My doing the podcast is still current. I am still speaking. I am still doing this discussion. And so I can. C- consider the, what am I working on right now? I'm working on a podcast and it can have this broader sense of time. Um, my now also consists of healing from a back injury and that's extending rather extensively into time. I overdid it yesterday. I was back to work this week. I did eight hours yesterday and now I'm spending the day at home because I, um, yeah, I, did bad things to myself. Uh, The worst part of healing this type of injury is I don't know that I have crossed the line over too much until I've already passed the line. There's no warning that the line is coming up. Just a, oh, look, I passed it two hours ago. Didn't realize. Well, fuck. So here I am at home, not sitting because sitting is not an option. I'm standing at the moment, um, doing this podcast. Why? Because I'm here and it gets a little lonely sometimes being broken and at home and not really wanting physical visitors because, well, hi, I'm going to lie here on the couch while you sit in that chair and we'll talk. And it can it can work, don't get me wrong, but not necessarily where I want to be with people. Uh, and a lot of it is just, it's pretty exhausting. I, I sleep a lot at the moment. That was totally beside the point, you didn't need to know it. Aside from the fact that I also have this really broad in time now of my experience of my back injury and the healing from it. So by this funky definition I'm laying out before you of noun is, there's this extension into time of my immediate experience and how it extends backwards and forwards in time and that that my now can encapsulate all of this time that is involved in an experience and that experience could be a very short-lived hey mom come and pet me because i need some love from a cat which you know can be anywhere from 30 seconds to half a second it could be this you know uh, when you get into your birthday celebrations, maybe your birthday experience is like a five minute, I got a cupcake at work and a card and whoot, and that was that. Everyone's saying life is good and it's over. Or you might turn your birthday experience into a week long you know, event that involves travel and every friend that you know. Um, events could last for a few hours, they can last for a few days, they could last for weeks. I've seen some Stages of life, which you could still say is an experience that goes on for years, and it it takes uh, it gets away a bit from true nowness, but it's an interesting way to think of your your now experience and how it extends in time, and that some of your now experience is extended really far back in time, and could potentially extend really far forward in time that of course not being known yet because it hasn't happened yet. So we don't know how far forward it's going to go in time. And that is the changeable part. And the part we have to accept is what the past is. The past is past. It's happened. We are in our now and in our now, we can, we are making constant choices. Many of those choices are to continue on as we have been going. But some of the choices are, I'm going to try this a different way. And we make a a shift That will affect how our future unrolls for us. I've gotten a little sideways on this, but it's kind of good to get this idea of what is now. What do you? So that's your contemplation task. What is now for you? Do you have a sense of now? Have you ever tried to just sit in the very nowness of now and go, well, now is now, but that thought that I had that now is now is now past. So that now moment is now no longer the now moment. And every moment that you become aware of, as soon as you are cognitively aware of a now moment, it is no longer the moment it is past because it is such a a fast edge. It can be lived, it can be experienced, but as soon as it is contemplated, it is already in the past. That's just a fact of, of existence. Please ignore the ambulance. But you could also think there is somebody's now who's had a very uh, sudden and altered shift in their now, and hopefully their now will be uh, not too altered and not for too long. So our nows are cycling through standard time frames, uh, even our own life cycles, where not just we that we follow. We have our circadian rhythms that follow the uh, planetary cycles. So we have our day night cycle that we live within. We have a yearly cycle that we live within. It's more obvious sometimes to us in the animals around. Um, if you have dogs and cats and they go outside at all, you will see their, their fur coats shift as we shift through seasons because we respond always, 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 to our environment around us. And as much as we like to enclose ourselves into buildings that are, you know, hermetically sealed away from the actual world, the fact is there is light, um, the, the amount of light that we get in the day shifts, the quality of the light that we experience shifts. Um, the weather outside is either frightful or adorable. The temperatures change, The everything, right? It's the whole point of a season. We have seasonal changes, it's part of our cycle, we have seasonal changes. And in the cycle of seasonal change, we are responding to it. We are always, always and forever responding to our environment, whether we will it or not. Sometimes we reject our environmental influences and we try and have this idea that we're separate from it. That is not a healthy perspective from my perspective. When we separate ourselves from what is, from our environment, from the trueness of our environment and the fullness of our environment, we are denying our reality. I'm pausing there because I really want it to sink in. We deny our reality when we separate ourselves from the cycles of life that surround us. And this is the cycles of our friendship. This is the cycles of our work, the cycles of our day, the cycles of our seasons, the cycle of our life. When we try and deny and reject and remove ourselves from those cycle experiences, we are denying and rejecting aspects of ourselves because we cannot truly, not truly, divorce ourselves. I mean, we could stick ourselves in a bunker that's underneath the earth and have only artificial light and, you know, food that's all pre canned and so that even the food is reflecting only a singular time. Because even our canned food, right? Was it canned last year, or the year before? Different food. Was it canned two weeks apart? Different food. Uh, but if you had all the same batch, I guess, of canned food, you'd have one moment in time that you're eating, that your body's reacting to that singular moment of time. And isn't that kind of fun to realize that every bit of food that you eat is also connecting you in with, back into, The life of the planet and into the cycles. And the more, this is where I'm really behind natural and local food and seasonal food, because it helps to connect us back uh, in a healthy fashion into our environment. (sighs) Because so much of the time, again, we are cutting ourselves off from, from those natural cycles. And what do I mean by we are losing parts of ourselves? Well, when we are in true sync with the natural flow, things become easier. Um, how do I want to, let's see if I can pull up an example. I'm going to tread into the dangerous, scary territory of discussing people's coffee habits. Uh, it would be like discussing bacon, bacon and coffee are these absolutely fascinating food items And I say that as somebody who uh, had to give up coffee and had to give up bacon and not a, oh, bacon is bad. I'm not going to eat bacon or shame on coffee. It's a horrible blight on the planet. I'm no longer going to drink it. No, Uh, I had to stop coffee and most real teas and decaf coffee and all of that uh, because I can't handle caffeine very well. I still have chocolate because, well, even though it's really hard on my body, it's still chocolate now. Oh, such love. Uh, however, it is still really hard on my body and I can feel it. And there's just not enough bang for the buck for me to have coffee. So I don't have coffee. So I now witness these years, it's been about what, 10, 12 years since I had to quit coffee and all caffeine for the most part. Um, So I witness the experience of coffee that other people have now from a an outsider perspective, but as a previous insider. So I'm an outsider from insider insider turned outsider and the same thing for bacon uh, i always had a problem with pork but bacon oh bacon i really did love you and then pork and i got along less and less over time and eventually no matter how hungover i was i still couldn't really eat bacon anymore uh, it's just a, it's a body thing body rejects it and it's not worth the uh, results so again i'm an outsider who is a former insider regarding bacon. And absolutely fascinating how obsessed we are with both. What is it that leads us into this, like the world is better with bacon and like, both bacon and coffee have this almost deified quality within memes and um, social media and people's reactions. And it's not everybody, but there's enough of it, so much of it, that it is truly remarkable. This deifying of the two of chocolate, not chocolate. Chocolate does, well, holds a very special place and I think many people truly adore it, but it doesn't have this absolute fixated obsession that bacon and coffee do. And I got onto this because I wanted to talk about shifting a perspective and it was about coffee and cycles. Ah, I remember now. So coffee is something that is used... Um, it's stimulant, right? People want it because, oh good God, mornings are horrid and I want to have my coffee so that I can use it to get me up and going in the morning because it's hard to get up and going in the morning. Oh my God. Mornings. We're not getting up with the sun. Um, Right now it's November uh, something, five, six, seven, eight, November 8th, 2018, which means we just passed Samhain and being in the Northern Hemisphere um, in North America, we had our clocks change last weekend. So our clocks went back an hour. So the sun is now closer to being up when I'm up um, and when I come home it's dark from work yesterday, which was that epic fail. But the point is that we don't get up with the sun. We're often, especially as we head into this dark half of the year, we are getting up before the sun in a lot of cases. We are not following natural rhythms that would have been baked into our cellular DNA from the very first evolution of us on the planet. We're not there anymore. Our worlds have shifted. And there's lots of studies on this and how there used to be a time when we would, um, because we would go to bed with the falling of the light, there would be the time when you get up in the middle of the night and you might read for a bit um, so that there was two stages to sleep. Different eras have dealt with this in different ways. But the biggest part that I'm making or point that I'm making is that we do not follow these natural cycles. And that is simply the way of our life. It's like, it's okay. It's okay. We, We get it. To mitigate that, we have our coffee and we get up. Now, remember, I've been caffeine-free for like a dozen years, which means, and I'm not a morning person. Oh, good God. So not a morning person, not even a little bit of a morning person. Oh God, mornings suck. Um, Though, you know, when I can wake up naturally, it's not so bad, but I, I've never been. And I've done a lot of work around sleep and improving sleep and all of that, but it comes down to, I am just one of those people whose natural rhythms do not align with the normal natural rhythms that are demanded in today's world, where you get up in the morning and you do all your stuff during the day and that your evening is where you wind down and you go to bed at a reasonable hour. I do go to bed at a reasonable hour, but I do not have a natural inclination towards mornings. I don't get caffeine to help me in the mornings for the last dozen years. I have to do mornings naturally. Ugh. It's rough. And to be honest, I still drink tea. Um, There's no caffeine in the tea. It's a tisane. It's uh, Celestial Seasonings Bengal Spice Tea. Oh my god, so good. I do love my chai, uh, which I don't have anymore because it's, well caffeinated. So standard chai I can't drink. And for those, if there's any of you who don't actually know, I just find it a funny tidbit that chai actually translates to tea. So when you order chai tea, you're ordering tea tea. (laughs) (laughs) For the tea tea. Bagel spice. So tasty. So I use the spices to kind of help warm me up and enliven me. So I'm still using in essence an herbal remedy, uh, just a very gentle one to help me get going and start my systems up in the morning, but I don't have caffeine for it. So many people and myself previously included use the caffeine to circumvent the natural cycle that they're in. There's no experiencing of the drag of the morning and that's useful from a work living part of society point of view It is not, not useful from a magical earth connected point of view, because it is disrupting your natural flow and connection with the earth, with the cycles and with your own natural rhythm within the cycles, because the day has a cycle, but so do you. You have a natural rhythm as the day has a rhythm and your rhythm and the day's rhythm. What you're hoping for is like a really good, um, Drum circle where there are different rhythms at play, but the rhythms listen to each other, interact with each other very naturally, sometimes take kind of widely differing roads, but different roads that still create a enjoyable, um, harmonious well, yeah, uh, relationship with each other. So that's what you hope for when you do it in a drum circle. And it's ideally what we would hope for in our own living within our own days and cycles. And yet, again, we don't do it. We rely on caffeine to get us up in the morning. So by doing that, what does it rob us of? Well, it robs us of a true awareness and understanding of our own existence in that time of day. Again, I get to speak from both sides because I used to be up, have, you know, caffeinated tea on the drive in, get into work within an hour, be getting a a latte because coffee was gut rot for me, like for a very long period of time. Coffee and I had really bad relationship uh, due to circumstances. Love it. And then it causes me such pain. Uh, I actually have a coffee scar from when I was two years old. Go figure. So I would get in, I'd have this coffee and it would, it would get me going and then I'd crash from it. And all day I was in this constant um, workaround between my energy levels, the requirements of the day, and this kind of almost embattled quality with caffeine of trying to essentially medicate myself into being able to be awake and aware uh, with a medication that would toss me all over the place that would be... caffeine is useful. It has its place. Don't get me wrong, I am not putting down the caffeine, uh, but it, it's the dosage, the reliance, and how it removes our awareness amusingly, I still eat chocolate a lot first thing in the morning because it's my only source of caffeine and God damn it, I hate mornings. Uh, but what what would happen? I, I'm not saying go out, quit caffeine and try for the experience because there's a whole lot more to quitting caffeine than just um, noticing what it's like to be without it because you, there is an addictive quality and there is caffeine withdrawal. It's a real thing. I've done it multiple times in my life. And ooh, depending on the person that you are in your own physical systems, it can be quite the doozy of an experience. I'm just using this as an example. You could take anything that, where um, we shift ourselves out of a natural flow and artificially, in other words, using um, external components to change our relationship with our natural cycles. It's just coffee is a really great example of it. So again, we don't, we don't experience our natural rhythm and flow with a morning if we're using coffee. Um, and that is perfectly valid because if we needed to do this in order to make a living, in order to earn the money, to have a roof over the head and food that goes in the belly, these are necessary things. And there are sacrifices that have to be made yet by not having that natural relationship with our own cycle, with the morning, we kind of lose, we we don't get that great start. We don't get, um, We start out of sync already with the day. We're already in conflict with the rhythms instead of in sync with the rhythms. We don't get to have, um, a feeling of peace and of calm, of rightness, of being able to feel when something's not right in the day because it's not right versus I can't feel anything because everything feels wrong because, oh dear God, I'm up at this time of day and I feel sick because my body doesn't want to be up and I don't want to be up and I was up too late last night and I have the caffeine and it's got me going and I'm doing the work. There's no space and no time to be aware. And that self-awareness is absolutely critical from a magical perspective to be able to create change within yourself, to become uh, more of who you are meant to be. If you cannot get into your own cycles and your own awareness of them, then there are parts of you that are blocked and you will not know what they are and this is kind of why I'm struggling to find a clear example because it's very individual. Uh, I I mean I always knew I wasn't a morning person but I was using the caffeine to stop myself. Uh, from needing to actually adjust my sleep test cycle, I would go to bed at like 11 30, 12 o'clock and get up at six. Well, I by nature need like eight and a half, nine hours of sleep. I was just constantly short shifting myself by using caffeine. So I was avoiding a certain reality in my life that meant that I was never fully healthy in my sleep, uh, which, and if you're not healthy in your sleep, everything else suffers. I didn't know who I was. There was a whole aspect and it's really hard to articulate it and define it because it's, it's not something that wants to be defined by words, but me in the morning, I, I now know who I am in the morning and I can't say that, you know, it's, um, I'm not ever going to be the bright, shiny person, but I know who I am. And I didn't know who I was when I was doing caffeine. I didn't know that part of me that existed in that time of day. I didn't know what I was like. I didn't know what my reactions truly were. Oh yeah, my reaction's way better now (laughs) because I am more aware and cognizant um, of myself and my actions, my reactions, and I can make more healthy choices and all that. So this is a very long, rambly tirade about how we are faced with the difficult realities of the modern world and how we cope and that these coping mechanisms often take us even further away from being in true relationship with ourself, our own cycles and the cycles of the manifest world around us and how important those manifest, well, the manifest world is in our relationship and our cycles. We are part of a living body that is this planet Terra. Uh, I do like using the word Terra instead of Earth. It's something I've fallen into. There's a couple of word shifts, actually, I'm falling into over time because our English language, and this is kind of the second point I think I was going to make earlier, our language falls into habits. And when we say Earth, there's a whole slew of meanings around Earth. And and Gaia has another um, very particular, actually, set of, of sensations and connotations around it and and her. <laughs> And if you are talking the Gaia principle versus Gaia, the goddess, there there is a difference there, but there's still a related relationship to the word uh, and connotations again. That framework, how we experience what we are talking about when we use that word. So when I talk about the planet and the living planet that we are on, I really like to use the word Terra, the same way I would use Saturn or Mars as being the the fullness, that essence of the planet, uh, in the sky, and that if I was to set foot on Mars, Mars would have a vibration and its own life. Um, even though you know it's a dead planet, well, it's still got cycles and experience, and it has its own memories. Um, all the planets have their. Let's pick something. Um, Jupiter has a whole bunch of storms and, and shifts and experiences that are going on. Whether or not there's life as we would describe it, there's still a change and experience going on. Time and space are having meaning upon, upon Jupiter. Jupiter has a living essence and you can feel it. It's part of, I think, what makes astrology, uh, where I grok with astrology is that the influences of these planets are because they are living essences and all living essences um, kind of leave footprints and wakes in space-time and that those wakes reach out to the surrounding bodies uh, that exist and we are on one of those surrounding bodies so thus we are influenced by So words that have been used for a long time, sometimes those words don't work for me because they don't, they don't crack open the sensation of what I'm trying to reach for with meaning. I like to use the word Terra for the planet to reach for that feeling, that sensation, that experience, that perspective, that the planet is a living entity of which we are like, um, I don't know, in a sense, are we the mites and the eyelashes of the planet? Uh, we look at our own bodies. Our bodies are made up of tissues. The tissues are made up of particular kinds of cells. You know, we can break down our bodies uh, from various different perspectives into component parts, but in the end, all those component parts become us, the, this entity that exists uh, that is host to other, you know, entities like the mites and our eyelashes. And that we are all in a a connected and sometimes symbiotic, sometimes parasitic um, relationships. But We're all interacting all the time. We on the planet and all of the creatures on the planet and all of the living things from every virus and paramecium up are part of the living Terra. You can, I, I think one of the moments that really brought home to me the my God, this planet really is truly all connected and we are, you know, not some plunked in piece that was, you know, we weren't an outside piece plunked in and dropped in and went, oh, you know, this piece goes here and let's make this other piece and go there, that we were part of an integrated um, relating whole uh, and relationship in the planet and connected to all of the the things when I was listening to Quirks and Quarks, which is an absolute wonderful podcast. Uh, I think it's from CBC and it's a science one and a lot of fun. And they uh, were talking about cranberry juice and how cranberry juice uh, has this, I think it's a protein, um, one of the proteins that has this hook and the hook relates directly into um, the bladder. And and when we get a bladder infection, like there's something about the the hook of the protein and the cranberry juice related to a bladder infection and what we need in order to, to have the healing from the bladder infection. Like it's, it's a very specific thing. I don't remember enough of the details to give you a good explanation, but you know, look it up. It's there. It's real. And it made me go, wow, like, really, what are the odds, except that clearly really high, that this particular plant that you could eat the berries of or make the juice of that we would then uh, ingest would have this protein marker that would help us uh, hook into and, and deal with this particular infection. Like, The way the complexity and the dance, the miraculous dance of the the very different parts and elements of all the various things on this planet and how they interact, we are clearly part of a whole. We are just like um, the wonder of our bodies and how, you know, uh, how the neurons connect into the muscles. And we have, like, you look at any dance. Or listen to any music or uh, like any art expression whatsoever, or even just our ability to think how we are this amazing expression of all of these cells put together, and that somehow we are able to do all this. It's just, it really does have a quality of divine to it, from my perspective. But even if you don't have to go divine with it, you just can marvel at the absolute. Connective relationship out of it all. So we are, from my perspective, very much a part of Terra. We are a living component of the living planet, and the living planet for me is best expressed in the word Terra versus Earth, because Earth, in too often of a case, is a a, a lump, a thing. It doesn't automatically carry with it the connotation of living unless uh, we've kind of trained ourselves into that perspective. So Terra doesn't necessarily hold it either, but we use Terra less. So starting to use Terra very specifically to talk about the living planet allows uh, an easier access point into that view and perspective and seeing it in that particular way. So I talk about Terra and that we are part of Terra and that when we, we are therefore part of the rhythms and the cycles, we can try and separate ourselves from them, but it's a lie because we're living on the planet. If we were up on the space station, okay, we are now separate from the planetary cycles in the sense of the, the actual physical world around us. However, the space station is still circling the planet and the planet is still in the uh, distance um, relationship from the sun. So there's still going to be some, because we're in elliptical orbit, you know, we, we get closer, we get farther. So there's certain parts of the rhythms of the solar system that would still be applicable. You'd have to leave the solar system in order or, or leave this planet uh, or go on your own um, somehow completely circular you know, um, navigation of the sun in order to not be influenced by that particular cycle and rhythm. Huh. Anyhow, we are part of it. And Oftentimes, like I said, we remove and for ourselves from it or try to, and we suffer a little bit from it. Which also means that we have, as witchy, pagan, heathen, druid, uh, <laughs> aware living adults on this living planet, we have the ability to choose to choose to make change, to choose to change the relationship that we are in, to choose to change how we act, to choose, to change, and to become, so we can alter our habits. Our habits have grown out of our previous experience and our culture around us. Habits are incredibly useful and incredibly dangerous, depending on whether they serve us or they hinder us. Our modern world encourages us to ignore, the, for the most part, the fact that there are seasonal differences, and different places have different seasonal differences, I happen to live in a place. Uh, I'm on the, uh, in BC, near Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. My weather patterns are very similar actually to, um, I think, a fair amount of Europe. So the originating uh, seasonal quality of Wicca is actually really applicable here. Like the timing's downright freaky. So like dead on for when spring, uh, starts to to stir when summer kind of blinks a little bit and wakes up. Our seasons are so easily attuned to that. That's a lovely convenience for me, but it is not a reality across the board. Some places basically experience, you know, two seasons, frozen and cooking or, um, Your climate, your climate is its own place, its own ecosystem, and it has its own rhythms and different places on the planet have different seasonal rhythms. And that's important. It's critically important because you are part of the living planet and, excuse me, where you are and your rhythms matter. Now, this next part of the discussion is far more applicable if you're in the Northern Hemisphere than in the Southern Hemisphere, because we're having different experiences right now when it comes to the seasons. So this would be more applicable for Southern Hemisphere people uh, to seed the idea of what they might want to do, you know, six months from now when we're, we're flipped in our states. But for those of us who are in the north, this is kind of a, hey, now, 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 now is really the time to be thinking about these things. We've just passed Samhain. Uh, and if you, depending on whether you're um, an October 31st person or the mid, the actual mid date between um, the two, was it the, two, uh, the summer solstice and the equinox, no, wait. Equinox and Yule. Sorry. Um, there's a solar calculation where you can take the two solar festivals, um, equinoxes and solstices, and the, the point directly between them uh, becomes the basically another way of solar marking the fire festivals. And so your Imbolc, Beltane, Lunasa, and Samhain would be at these in-between markers. And that usually puts Samhain at about like November 5th, 6th, 7th, something like that maybe as late as eight. Uh, I don't do, work that way uh, in large part because as far as I'm concerned, wow, it is tangent day. Uh, the fire festivals, so those, those four festivals are not solar uh, and they're not precisely lunar. They are truly seasonal. They speak to that ineffable shift. ineffable shift in the planet, in the, our ecosystem around us that says, oh, oh, fall has arrived. And like I said, where I am, and, and for my perspective, Samhain is that moment where you're like, oh, we, we are, it is the birth of winter. It is not winter. We are not in the middle of winter. We are at the birth of winter. It's like an initiation. An initiation is not the changed person. A person who's been initiated is not yet changed in the moment of initiation. They've had the door opened. They have taken a step across the threshold, but they've only begun a journey. They haven't finished the journey. Um, In in a sense, you could say that uh, and Eve would be the last, the ending of fall, right? It would be the end of autumn. It would be the completion of the cycle of the harvest, which is why in in old British lore, uh, at least in, I'm always hesitant about saying things about lore because was that true lore or was that something that was made up by um, more modern recreationists as they went looking for those ties? Anyway, uh, that that one should not harvest anything after Samhain. And my sense around that is that it was the marker of, but fall has ended. The harvest is ended. We have completed that part of the cycle and we are stepping into winter. So I'm very much of the the, the ecosystem side of the fire festivals, that they are, are speaking to us from that place of um, the, uh, the experience of the world around us, not another aspect of solar. This is a, you know, people's mileage will vary uh, depending on the way that they want to experience it. And there is an ebb and flow that also follows from the solar one. It's just not the one that I work from, as a general rule. Sometimes fun to play around with. Anyhow, regardless of which way you view it, we are at the beginning of winter at this point. We have crossed the Samhain Vale and we have slipped into the time that is darkest, the time that, not necessarily coldest, right? Uh, we're not yet uh, at Yule. Yule will be when the, for the Northern Hemisphere, things will be at their darkest, Right? The, the shortest day, longest night. Yet, at Yule is when we light, relight the, the flames, we relight the candles, we bring light back into the, the planet, our world, our, our life. The Yule is not the time, necessarily. It can be a time to play with darkness, but it's a completed darkness. This is the beginning of the dark cycle. Ha! That's what I was trying to say. As we are at the beginning of the dark point of the cycle, there are, if we truly embrace being within the rhythms of these cycles to be part of that pattern and that flow, then surely we want to engage with this time of darkness, which means shifting our behaviors at least a little bit, at least a little. And going, okay, what, what would be different? If this is the time of the beginning of winter, the start of winter, the start of darkness, what shifts? What changes? What do we want to do differently? Well, it's a time for inner reflection, right? The darkness is a great time for inner reflective work. It's a great time right now for ancestral work, has been my experience. It's a lot easier to connect with the ancestors in the dark half of the year. So, much easier. Basically everything after Mabon becomes, oh my God, so much easier to work with ancestors. Um, It's also a time of completion. So the harvest ideally would have been completed by Samhain. The the big work done, the outer work done so that the inner work can commence. Well, if you're like me, uh, the outer work never really seems to end and There's always a list of tasks and, oh my God, how am I going to get all the things done? And well, shit, (laughs) shit, shit, shit. Um, Because I'm not in a place to truly sink into my own dark experience, my own winter experience, because I still got to get all this shit done. So this year's focus for me and my coven was to, and is to, explore completion. We're not very good. At completion in the modern world, we are we suck at endings. I'm sure I have said this before. I will undoubtedly say it again. We suck in this modern North American world at endings, ending relationships, um, grief, loss, uh, ending a job. Just just endings. We are not good at it. We don't process the emotions well. We deny that things are ended. We don't prevent. We have very few healthy tools around endings, and it's a problem. I'm not going to get into that right now. Otherwise, this will be like two and a half hours. Uh, So instead of focusing into that rant, I'm just going to talk about completion. When was the last time you really noticed that you completed something? Yeah, I'll give you a minute. Like really finished it. You know, uh, you were working on a project and it was done. Some project, personal project, work project. There you go. Think on, just get one in your head. I'll give you another few seconds. Okay. For me, I'm going with, um, I wrote, I have written actually a couple of novels, (laughs) never published them, but I have written. And this, the moment of completion that writing the last word for me, uh, but any project completed will do. How long, what, what was your experience when you finished it? Let me phrase it that way. What was your experience? What was it like? Do you remember what it felt like? Were there sensations? Like, did you have a physiological response? Did your body go, oh, and was there a big sigh? Did your muscles relax? Did you kind of flop down a little bit? Or did you get excited? Did you run around like a crazy person going, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Uh, what was your, what was your reaction? What was your physiological your somatic, actually, here's another word for you that I love to use is somatic. It's the living body. Uh, I think it's Latin for living body. So your somatic experience, what was your somatic experience? And what was your emotional experience? So not your head. I don't want your logical experience. Logical experience is probably like, awesome. That was done. Check. We, and we put the little check mark into the box beside the to-do list and, and we move right along. What was your emotional reaction? What was your somatic reaction? Okay. And, and feel feel free to hit pause if I didn't give you enough time to actually really think about that. Um, and to call it up, can you call up the somatic and, or the emotional experience, an echo of it, what it was like can be hard sometimes a long time ago, and it can be hard to, to kind of get back into, um, a, a reflection of that experience. How long did you spend in that somatic and emotional experience? Did you have, so, so the questions and they're a bit leading are, you know, how long were you in those experiences? Did you have them long enough to be able to even remember what it felt like either somatically or emotionally? Uh, Either, either, or did you, did you have the ability to call up any of the, that quality of the memory? Or is it really just a cognitive, oh yeah, I did that thing. Mm-hmm. It was good. And then it was gone. And then getting, for me, I, it passed so quickly. I was so like, it was months, right? <laughs> Writing a novel is not a short-term project. It's a long-term project. And I got there and I finished and there was this brief, ecstatic quality. And then maybe the evening and kind of rolling around in the satisfaction uh, and, you know, probably cracking a cooler and and toasting the, the ending of it. And then I was already thinking, well, what am I going to do next? Already thinking it. I wasn't even out of that evening. The day had not finished and already I'm thinking of what next. I spent so little time in that moment of completion. So little time. And I've gotten so used to there not being moments of completion, you know, as one thing finishes, but there's already like five things waiting to be done. So just because I finished the one does not mean that I'm finished because there's all these other things to do. I suck at really allowing myself to experience completion in the truest sense. And that is not a healthy perspective. It is not a healthy way to live. So from that, I encourage you and me to settle into this start of winter, this beginning of darkness with an intention to complete a thing, one thing. This is also my coven's homework. Uh, I wonder if I remembered to actually tell them this. Uh, to pick an item and to complete it. And I don't care what it is, it doesn't have to be big. In fact, big is not necessarily your friend. Because we're not trying to seek out this big, huge thing. We're actually going for the low-hanging fruit, like the guarantee of success that we're going to complete the thing and feel better. And in today's world, sometimes simply the act of trying to get to a place where I can sew a button back onto a coat is too much. Because it's one more thing. And it's an easy thing. And it's a simple thing. And once I do that thing, it'll be like, yay, it's done. But instead of seeing it as a singular item in need of completion, I see it as one of a whole stack of things that are not completed. So to engage with that one thing that isn't completed, I feel like I'm engaging with all of them. And it's just going to highlight for me the failure in getting all the things done. That is an easy trap to fall into. So if you're joining me in that trap, I feel your pain. I hear you. And we need to break out of that. Put it down and just go, I just need to complete one thing. That's the, the abysmal task of the episode is to pick one thing and you need to pre-identify it. Ideally, you don't have to. Um, You can do the rest of this work just on, you know, oh my God, I completed a thing. I can, I can use that completed thing as my stepping point for the rest of this. But the most complete version of this, the most satisfying is to identify it ahead of time. And then stage two is to complete it. <laughs> Stage 3 is to then spend some time somatically and psychologically emotionally in that completion. To when when you want to run off and go oh I need to do the next thing it's like no 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 no. No, I need to milk this completion for all it's worth. I need to experience it. I need to feel it. I need to allow the reaction of the totality of my essence to note what this experience is like. So, our our mind's job in these tasks is to keep us within the experience. So, instead of our mind herring off and go, oh, here's the list of all the things to do. No, no, your your mind's job in this circumstance, in this. Uh, abysmal task is to keep you within the experience. So when you start getting distracted by low level thoughts about other things, it's like, no, no, no. It's a, you know, Brian's job is a meta level on this one to bring you back to task and go, okay, what does it feel like? Like and, and Until the feeling is done. And if the feeling is done, it's like, oh, well, okay, the feeling is done look for that. What does completion feel like to you? Is there satisfaction in completion? Is there aggravation? Do you even know what you feel? Can you identify what you feel when you complete something? And in order to identify what you feel, you have to feel it. You can't just go, oh, I am feeling this thing. First, you must feel, you must have the experience. This is so critical for us in our, our, our becoming selves on this modern era for Wiccans, witches, heathens, pagans, Druids, etc., cetera, is to, for our magical folk is to, uh, is to feel. That is a huge part of what we don't do on a regular basis and one that we really need to do. So, as I said, that is your abysmal task. For this episode, is to look for something that you can complete, really, truly, reasonably complete. And then when you complete it, to note it. In the grand scope of things, it would be awesome if all of our big tasks that could be completed by this point were completed so that we could settle into a time of rest and reflection. Even uh, as we slide through winter, it's when the planet rests right it's when the earth rests when everything settles into quiet and into stillness when the seeds go dormant when the bears sleep when the processes of life slow down and it's basically the sleep cycle right winter is the sleep cycle of the year and we have such healing and regeneration when we sleep that we are not getting out of, we're not getting our healing and regeneration out of our winter cycle because we're not allowing our, our seasonal actions to rest and to sleep. We're not allowing our season, our behavior within the seasons to reflect that time of rest and, uh, reflection. So on a grander scale, uh, ideally, you know, I would be done with, there's a certain set of tasks that I would dearly love to be done with. And I'm not. And right now I really can't be because I can't uh, spend that much time working on a computer because I've injured myself. So I've essentially forced myself into this winter zone of rest and reflection. (laughs) Not how I wanted to get here, but absolutely necessary. And I'm trying to get more of my uh, chosen uh, tasks to fall into a better rhythm. And this is the first year I'm really deeply consciously trying to get into that place. So I invite you to join me into that thought. And maybe this winter, we all managed to complete one, one thing or a small collection of things or one medium sized thing. When hope that for next winter, it is more of a, yeah, I was able to clear off everything so that when I get to my retreat, because I always do a retreat between Christmas and New Year's, that I can go into it going, everything's taken care of. It's all done. I'm done. I'm ready. I can just chill out. This is awesome. All right. So I know I said I was going to talk more about spirals, and I did touch into a little bit of how things change, but um, I think I'm going to leave the spirally aspect uh, off for right now because we've just passed an hour. I think it would be a, a healthy way to approach this would be to wrap it up now and let spirals emerge in, in this kind of context on a different day when it's a little more uh, topical, shall we say. It has been absolutely wonderful to be spending time with you again and to be uh sharing my babble a little more outward than it's been for a long time. It feels good to share. If you do want to share back, uh, there is still pennies in the well at gmail.com. Um I'm trying to switch over and I'm not sure how effective it is yet, so if you want to try, you know, the new email address but not but but with the acknowledgement that um, you know, there, there could still be some bugs in the system. It's change at abysmalwitch.com. So you can also email me there. Uh, if you would like to kind of let me know how things go, I'm also going to toss it out there that if there's something you want me to, um, babble about, <laughs> I am a child of Babylon, uh, then send, send me a question, ask a witch. Just put ask a witch uh, in the subject line, and I will know that you are asking me something that you would like me to respond on, um, most likely on the podcast. So I toss that out to you that I'm totally willing to respond to questions and be inspired by your questions, should you so desire. All right. Uh, that should take care of that. You have your abysmal task, should you wish to engage with it. Much love, uh, much hope as we head into winter. Blessings of the deep and wild to you. Blessed be.